What's up, podcast listeners? It's your boy, Matt Baxter, hanging out on, <clears throat> yep, you guessed it, the Matt Baxter Show. I am enjoying a lovely podcast with Sari Ibrahim, and he is the founder of Thinking Like a Bank podcast. He's a guy who comes from the, uh, the financial world in Chicago, Illinois. We talk finances. We talk what it's like to actually uh, view the world from a financial freedom perspective, what it's like from different banking options and how people, I think, are intimidated by the banking world, yet they can actually live it, dream it, and breathe it themselves. So, Sari, thank you so much for the impact uh, you have in the financial world. I think it's fascinating, both from a startup perspective, also from a guy who uh, I've gone through raising capital, I've gone through uh, bridge loans, I've gone through loans, I've gone through a whole wide range of uh, uh, financial, uh, both investments and taking on investing. And so uh, this this was a fascinating podcast, and I'm super excited uh, for what you have to offer. So thanks again, and I hope everybody enjoys this podcast just as much as I did. Sari, thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. Hey, Matt, thank you so much for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here and speak to you in the audience today. I know I've been an absolute nightmare to schedule with, so thanks for the patience. So, uh, where in the where in the world are you recording from? I'm I'm born and raised in Chicago. Currently in Chicago, actually in the suburbs of Chicago, so about like forty five minutes uh, west of downtown Chicago. What what suburb? It's called Woodridge, Illinois. Oh, cool. Okay, I've got college roommate, grew up in Geneva. I've got a lot of friends, uh, kind of all around that area. So um, I'm in uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan, but I lived in Holland. And so the college that I went to, probably half the people either were from West Michigan or were from Chicago. So I have a lot, a lot, a lot of friends and a lot of ties to that area. So that's amazing. Oh, so we're neighbors. Grand Rapids, not like what three hours? I think three hours away from Chicago. Yeah, we get to share the winter effects snow. We get to share. I think you guys get a few more sunny days from us, so that's one positive to you guys. But yeah, we're we're pretty close to each other. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, Sari, give me uh, give me the story. Give me the background. Obviously, you know, outside of Chicago, grow up would love would love just to hear a little bit more about your background, your story, who you are. Tell us what you got. Yeah, definitely. So I think like really started off um, the, my story kind of for, in a professional sense. When I was in grad school, I kind of was either thinking of doing my MBA, going down like the business path or like go to law school. Uh, I don't know. It wasn't a firm decision, but somehow I chose to do my MBA. Um, and about halfway through my MBA, I needed some like real experience, some real professional experience. I don't want to graduate with an MBA without any experience at all. So I started working at Allstate Insurance and I, I loved working. I loved working for that company. Um, and more importantly, I, I really liked working with people and, and talking to people about business and, you know, all types of different insurance matters and financial services. And I kind of figured, you know, that's what I wanted to do. It, it's, it's really interesting, Matt, because I think when you're when you're young and you're in college, you, you get so involved around like career titles and like things. And then you kind of forget, like, what will you actually be doing on a day to day basis? So I started to learn more about myself and learn. I really like to talk to people and, and, and deal with people and, and more keep it more personally about them. So. I decided to pursue entrepreneurship, become full-time, you know, self-employed financial services professional where I would help people with insurance and all types of financial planning. And that led me to starting a company called Financial Asset Protection. So where it's a full service financial services firm. And then it also led to something interesting uh, with the podcast, which is called Thinking Like a Bank Podcast. And as you can imagine, the it's, it's literally how to think like a bank. So we bring on guests who talk about all types of different financial stuff and taxes and legal stuff, you know, I bring out lawyers and talk about legal stuff with money, all types of different ways of thinking differently about money. So that's kind of like the, the brand I've been building and the journey I'm on right now. And, and then it also led to another journey, which is guest podcast. And 
I, I've done about 300 guest appearances since March 2020. Um, and this, you know, this right now, how about guests right now on this podcast? I've done a lot of these guest guest podcasts to share the story and to meet incredible people like yourself and from the audience. So that's kind of like the unplanned um, path that I've been on, and you know how I kind of got here and, and what I'm currently up to nowadays. I love it. You know, it's it's kind of interesting. One of the byproducts of uh, COVID and sort of the initial lockdowns that happened was, you know, if you host a podcast, it was an amazing time to get guests because people were sitting around not doing as much as traveling or, you know, just kind of had some downtime just because of how uncertain things were. And so I found because, you know, I've had my podcast for, I don't know, five years or so and probably done, I think, 250-ish episodes just by recording. And it was amazing. Like, the summer of 2020, like I got 10 or 15 or 20 guests that I don't think there was a spitting chance that I would have ever gotten them otherwise than yeah. just, yeah, available, happy to, you know, happy to be there. And I'm sure probably for you, there was a lot of people looking for guests. And so that sounds like an amazing time that you jumped on, which is, which is pretty special. So I love it. Yeah. Yeah, man, definitely. Uh, and during COVID, like you said, like you said, there's a lot of downtime, but because of the podcasting world, because of guest podcasting and then hosting a podcast, I was literally working like 12 hours a day. I was swamped. During yeah, I, I did. It was amazing. So I, you know, my a little background on me, I own a video interviewing software company. So it's a HR tech software business. And quite frankly, COVID was theoretically good for our business in the sense that, you know, things shifted towards uh, uh, remote work to virtual work. Interviewing shifted from in-person to virtual. So just by nature, we happen to be in the right place at the right time. So the combination of that and not to mention same thing with the podcast, like it was the busiest time and some of the most productive time in my life, which I know is not true for others as well too. So yeah, just a totally different perspective on that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. So, you know, one, one interesting thing... Um, I don't think a whole lot of people start their careers thinking I I love insurance, right? Or I love, you know, staring at numbers like that. I think there's a lot of people who love the idea of like I want to get into investment banking or private equity or investments, but like, you know, the idea of actually, you know, kind of starting your career in the insurance world, I know some people view that as a grind to get to the next step. But when you first started your career path, were you most interested in um, sort of immediate problems that people had and helping them solve? Or was it more like, I want to set you up for the future and let's think about the future as you know a big puzzle we're trying to solve? Which kind of was more interesting to you or fascinating to you? Yeah, a good question. Yeah, and, and you're, you are right. Insurance is not the sexiest title. A lot of people, you're right, definitely want to get into tech, you know, private equity, venture capital, investment banking. Those are like the hardest jobs to get into, especially out of college. And that's what everybody kind of wants. I think it's mostly because it sounds cool. I've talked to a lot of people in those industries. It's not that cool of work. It's very tiring, very competitive, you know, a lot of work. But still, I didn't know what I didn't know, right? So I got into the insurance business and um, it was much different than I thought it was it was going to be. And it is a grind. It does take a long time to kind of build up and, and, and grow and understand. It's very complex. It's very complicated stuff. Um, but I was really more into problem solving. I wanted to be known as like the problem solver in my community and amongst my clients and prospects. I want to be known as a person who can kind of solve. If you have a problem, go to Siri. He can help. That's kind of, that's what I wanted to do and what I wanted to build. I figured it would be a win-win. Like clients would come to me wanting to have a problem solved. I was capable and, and willing to solve the problem for them. And then 
it was good for it was good for me because I would get them as clients. It was good for them because they would have the problem solved. So that was my mentality, and that was really what like locked in a very strong and sales and marketing background, which I think every 100% of entrepreneurs are salespeople, whether you want to use that word or not. We're all in sales. We're all in marketing, right? And then vice versa, if you start a business and you don't have those sales and marketing skills, it's going to be very, very difficult for you to stay in business and grow. You know, everybody, you know, even your doctor has to sell you on listening to him or her. Your attorney has to sell you. You know, every, your accountant, everybody's in sales and marketing. We just don't like to use those words because it kind of takes away the how genuine we are in our professions, right? But, but really, I wanted to really be like known as the problem solver. And I think, and I guess when I when I when I learned that, I understand that it made other things in business easier to understand and convey. You know, it's interesting about the sales piece. Um, you know, uh, it's so true. If you're if you're an entrepreneur, you are the company's number one salesperson. Yeah. And that might not necessarily be revenue producing, although it probably should be, but it's also like you're selling future employees from joining the company. You're selling investors to invest in your company. You're selling bankers, attorneys, people that, you know, you might need to hire for services to come, you know, work with you, work for you, be a vendor, whatever it may be. And so you're right, it's selling all the time. And you know, it's it's not just the direct like, hey, I sold this contract and I made money, but it's much much more than that. So, no, I I I I totally see that. Um, so you know, let's talk a little bit more about your 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 podcast. So, thinking like a bank. So, you know, for the outside world, let, let let's take somebody who has no interest in entrepreneurship business, and they say, I don't understand the business world. A lot of people think banks are awful or banks are bad or you know what whatever that may be. So, talk talk to me a little bit about some of the misconceptions that. I think the outside world kind of views like that. And then tell me a little bit more sort of about your podcast in that context. Yeah, definitely. Good question. So I, a lot of people, I think when it comes to banks, number one, a lot of people think that banks just have a lot of money, right? It would, you would kind of assume that or, or predict that in your mind that banks are just have a lot of money. In reality, a bank is more of like a bridge or a conduit. It connects people together. If you think of like a blood bank, right? Like somebody goes to a blood bank, gives them blood, and then somebody else gets that blood for research or for medical purposes or whatever. And a bank is really just like a bridge or a conduit. So with that comes a different way of thinking, right? So a bank is going to think, okay, we can have people store our money here, and then we can take that money, and then we can loan that money out to other people. If people want mortgage, we can help them with that. If they want car notes, business loans. So they're kind of in the middle of everything and really just facilitating paperwork. That's all they're really kind of doing in between people. And again, I think that's a very smart thing to do. Like banks are really good at, you know, marketing and building businesses because essentially they don't really have a business. They just have, they're more of a, a conduit or bridge between somebody looking for money and somebody uh, wanting to store their money. And again, the thinking process behind that can be applied to anybody, really small business owners, individuals, anybody can apply those same principles that banks use. And when you do apply those things, and we talk a lot about this in our podcast, when you apply those thinking, that those the same thinking principles, you see an uptick. You see a kind of an uptick in your business, in your revenue, in the amount of money you're able to save, in the amount of money you're able to leverage. So that's one aspect, one kind of thing, assumption that people have is that people, banks have a lot of money. They don't. They're more of bridges. And the other part, too, is people think that when you go to a bank and you borrow money, it means that you need the money. And that's actually the opposite. So people who have a lot of money are also really big users of debt. So 
rich people, wealthy individuals, the top 1% also use the most amount of bank money. Of, of let, They borrow the most amount of money. And why is that? How come rich people borrow money? Uh, and that is because of leverage. So because of leverage, they're able, instead of you tying up all your cash that you have in businesses or real estate or, or assets, if you could borrow against those assets, then you can buy potentially more assets. So there's this kind of like this uh, monopoly or cash, you know, uh, Robert, Robert Kiyosaki's cash flow game where you can essentially, it's almost like a game where you can buy assets, finance them, and then buy more. There's also a lot of tax advantages involved in real estate and in leverage. So generally speaking, um, not to get too far into the boring parts of a bank, but two assumptions. One is banks have a lot of money, which is not true. And second, only people in need of money borrow money. So that's kind of two assumptions that we kind of um, unpack and break through our, in our podcast. Yeah, no, I, 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 it's it's spot on. And I think, you know, it's it's fascinating. I forgot what the quote was, but if you borrow a million bucks from the bank, the bank owns you. If you borrow 50 million from the bank, you know, the bank's going to listen to you or that you own the bank. It's, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, the, 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 the further and further up you go. I mean, I know some significantly wealthy families that in my local area have actually been involved in bailing out banks um, just yeah. from a lending perspective. So I think people oftentimes view them as, yeah, just sitting on a boatload of cash. And the only thing that goes wrong with banks is if they run out of money. And actually that's not true. Um, and yeah. so no, I, I, I think it's spot on. Um, so, you know, how does a broke person think like a bank? Somebody who's somebody somebody who either has made a boatload of bad decisions, never never came from anything, uh, you know, this that or the other. Somebody who doesn't have money, how do they start to think like a bank? Yeah, absolutely. So um, it's kind of like that, like that quote or that that way of thinking where it's not the problem, it's the symptom kind of thing. So. I, and I've worked with a lot of clients. I've probably done about maybe, I don't know, over 500 financial analysis meetings with clients. This is where we just kind of go through the financial situation. And it's more, it's not just data driven. We're not just collecting data. We're also, there's an emotional, intellectual approach to it. I'm, I'm asking them questions like, what does money mean to you? What does retirement mean to you? What, is, what does it mean to be rich? What does it mean to be successful? So, and, and in that, you see a lot of habits that people have. And one of the habits or qualities I've seen of people who don't have money it's not that that's kind of the condition they're in. They don't have money. It's that based off of the decisions they've made and the habits they formed in their life, it's led them to kind of like a, a deficit or a lack of money. So what, is it, what does that mean? Like to go further into that, it's like if you compare it to working out, right? A lot of people compare financial literacy to like working out and having a, a physically healthy body in that when you are physically healthy, it's not just that's the person you are, it really comes down to the things you've done before that, right? Like the food you eat, the, how many times you go to the gym, how many times you do cardio, you run, all those things kind of like there's their habits and actions that, that have to be taken place to get to the, the physical healthy part. And the same is, exact thing is true with money. When you have the money, it's not just the condition at that time, it's the habits that happened before that. So here are some habits that I've seen successful people have. Number one, very good at tracking their finances, their expenses, their income. They're really good at it to the point where it's not confusing. It's not too complex. It is not a matter of using you know, algorithms and really complicated software. It's really just a very basic math, very basic, you know, um, you know I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to say algebra, like just regular math, very basic. And they're good. They know their numbers. They know exactly how much they make. They know how much they spend. They know how much they save. They know how much they invest. They know how much they can yield from investments. 
And with that comes a lot of practice. Like I, every day I do something called a personal financial tracker. This is where every day I track how much is in all my accounts and as well as how much debt I have. So how much credit card balances are and other types of loans that I have outstanding. And then with this, it helps you identify your actions when you know. So a lot of times people do something called mental accounting. That's where you go, oh, you know, I make $5,000 a month and I spend 4000 a month and I have 1000 left over. And that's kind of, you know, it's a lot of mental accounting. It's not actual accounting. They haven't actually gone through the numbers, but they don't really, it doesn't, it doesn't absorb that way. Like you just think that because you know how much you're getting paid and you know some of your expenses, that you know the whole picture. So that's, a, that's a big part of kind of, of leading people to be broke is the mental accounting, the lack of mental accounting. Other things I've seen is the, the lack of saving first. So sometimes people, and I talk to clients all the time about this. Sometimes people think that in order to save money, you have to be completely debt-free and you have to have an abundance of wealth to save money. In other words, you need money to save money. And it's kind of counterintuitive, right? So in other words, I can't put $100 a month away into an account I can't reach because I have too much debt and I constantly need to tap into that money. Really, that it's, it's a, there's a lack of discipline, right? And then kind of the third part is the, the uh, willingness to put money away that you can't easily reach. So a reason why a lot of people don't have money or, or have trouble saving money is because their money is too accessible. It's too easy to reach. If you have a checking and savings account and you have mobile banking, you know, right now, as I'm talking to you, Matt, I can go to my mobile bank and transfer money and buy something from Amazon, like literally right now. So money is super accessible. And the more accessible your money is, the more likely you are to spend it and more likely you are to build a habit of spending. So what if you can figure out a way to kind of create a savings account online or something that you can only put money into, but you can't take money out for 12 months, for example, without a penalty? I think that'll be perfect for people. Why? Because it, it, it takes away the human nature now. It's out of your human nature. And it's kind of like a bill that you have to pay because people are really good at paying other people. You can go to the mall, you can pay your electric bill, you can pay your card, or you can pay all these bills, guaranteed. But when it comes to paying yourself, people are like, no, I don't have money for that. Somehow, somewhere you don't have money to pay yourself, but you have money to pay other people. So kind of these small little tweaks and habits really go a long way. You know, it's um, there's an old quote that's basically what gets measured gets managed, right? Yeah. And so, you know, I, I, I've, I've often done that. I mean, there, there has never been a single time in my life that I have mentally thought, okay, I either made this much money or I have this much money uh, mentally. And then I look at the account. I'm like, whoa, I've got 10 times more than I thought. No, no, no. It's always the other way. It's always the other way around. Right. And I know for a lot of people too, it's like, okay, like you said, I, I, I mentally think I make five grand a month. And then I mentally yeah. think that I spend four grand a month and somehow I'm going to end up with $2,000 extra. It's like, no, it's not going to work like that. It might be $500 extra instead. Yeah. And so, you know, I, 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 I think that's, you know, it's, it's unfortunate. It's disciplined. And I, I think people, you know, oftentimes think that it's such a disastrous thing. It's, it's, it's short, it's short term focus and discipline for long term effects. And that's coming from somebody who I've had plenty of circumstances in life. I've spent way too much money as yeah. an entrepreneur. I've definitely run plenty of things on credit cards to, you know, bide by time and stuff like that. So I, I, I know some of the other side of it, but you know, it's it, when you actually sit down, you look at your accounts, look at what you spent and you're like, wait a minute. All right. I could probably cut back on a few different things for a month or two months or whatever it may yeah. be and whatever. So no, I, I, I think that's uh, I think, I think that's a good word. So, you know, for somebody 
you kind of talked, you know, tactics and ideas for somebody who just wants to get started. Would you say the first thing you'd recommend is like, Hey, just think about, you know, write down how much you make, write down how much you spend, compare those two things. And then that's a good start. Yeah. Yeah. I recommend just kind of follow some sort of tracker, like a Google sheet, nothing too complicated, just either a Google sheet or like a Excel sheet and just put in every day, like how much you're in your checking your savings and then how much your credit cards are on a daily basis. And again, it might seem like, redundant or like too you know too much work to do that it takes me about five to six minutes a day to do that and it makes a huge difference because it guarantees you that you know your numbers you understand your numbers very well again it's like it's like you're working you know it's like habits you're building like you can't just get wealth from the sky right and a lot of times man what happens to people who do get an abundance of wealth randomly 80 percent of people who win the lottery who inherit money or who come across some sort of unexpected large windfall of money 80% of those people end up in a worse financial situation. Why is that? Because they don't have the, the skills necessary to handle that kind of money. They don't know how to invest it. They don't know how to save it. They don't know how to grow it. Again, it's, this is human nature, right? So you have to, in order to go against human nature and, 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 and fix some of those obstacles, you have to practice. There are certain things you have to do. And this personal financial tracker is just one of the many habits you have to learn. Like people like, even people who are, you know, financial managers of companies, when it comes to their personal finances, struggle because it's not their job really to, they, they think it's not their job to manage their personal finances. There's a big difference between, you know, what you learn in college and your professional designations and licenses versus your habits that you're doing on a personal level. So I highly recommend you to listen to this podcast. You want to just kind of change some of the things you're doing financially, really hone in on habits, personal habits that you do on a daily basis. And one of those could be using a personal financial tracker. Another habit could be learning about about financial education from a self-educated perspective, not traditional education. I'm not saying go get a bachelor's degree in accounting or economics. I think that's important, but I think it's more important to focus on self-education. Listen to podcasts, read books, you know, watch YouTube videos. Nowadays, you can literally read or watch anything practically for free. So I highly recommend to build the habits of learning how the wealthy use their money. And it's very different from conventional thinking and, and, and kind of an, uh, a traditional way of liter- financial literacy. You know, it's it, it's funny you say that. I can only imagine how many people want to download a personal tracking, you know, uh, software platform, Excel sheet, whatever. And it might be $1.99 a month or $2.99 a month or something dirt cheap, but that's the thing that they choose to skimp on. Right. And it's the funniest thing in the world. It's like, here's a platform that's there to help. Here's a platform that's here to put you in a better spot. But yet that's the one thing you're going to choose to be cheap on is $1.99 or $2.99 a month. I'm sure there's plenty of free ones out there as well, but it's just one of those things where it's like, if you just go ahead and do it, it's going to make you so much better. Yeah, exactly. And you even said like some people when it comes to like budgeting and doing all these things, they think of it as like disasters. They think of it as like, I don't want to enter that tight world of budgeting and, and, and financial struggles. And it's like the opposite. It's meant to make, it's meant to help you financially, not hurt you financially. That's right. I love it. So Sari, what's, you know, what's kind of your ultimate goal with this whole thing? What are you trying to accomplish? What's your, you know, if you had an impact that you got to choose that you had with all this, what would you like that to be? Yeah, I want to help people get out of debt. I want to help bad debt. You know, I want to help people reach their financial goals, you know, earn passive income, work whenever they want. If they have a job, I want people to work in jobs that they like, not because they have to, you know, where they're tied down to jobs because they need they need their jobs to survive. I think there's a lot of abundance out there. I just think that people don't, and myself included, I didn't really believe that you could do things 
abundantly, you know. Uh, so I do that's that's my goal. That's my my ultimate goal. What I really want to do in the future is I want to start a not for profit organization that helps people with any financial planning 100% for free. So like a national 100% free financial planning organization where you can go to the organization with any type of financial planning needs for free from actual professionals, you know, certified financial planners, certified public accountants, and all types of professionals that you can get free help for, with through a not-for-profit organization. That's my ultimate goal. That'll probably take me like 10 years to build out and understand how to structure all that, but that's my ultimate goal. I love it. And, uh, you know, my favorite question on the planet is what gets you out of bed in the morning? Yeah. Um, my why, right. So like, you know, I, I run a business and a lot of times full, you know, full transparency, it's hard running a business, right? A lot of times it's, you know, I even wonder, should I just stop all this and, and you know, go get a job that we don't have to do any of this thinking at all. <laughs> you know, but at the same time, I, I remember why I even became self-employed and, you know, to provide for my family, to be there whenever, you know, right now I'm thankful. I'm really thankful that, if it's a Wednesday, you know, just in the middle of the day, I can take off work and just hang out with my family, with my wife and my son, you know? And again, that's really, I can't always do that, right? But I could do that whenever it's in my schedule or, and I just don't, I never want that to go away. So that's what gets me out of bed is the ability to have future freedom with sacrifices right now. So I'm willing to give things right now for that future set, for that future freedom. I love it. Um, Sarah, I want to make sure people know about your book and know about your podcast. Um, so for people that want to follow along with what you got going on, people that want to know more about you, what's the best way for them you know, to get a hold of you? Uh, and also give a little shout to your book as well, and we'll make sure to include it in the show notes as following up. Yeah, thanks, Matt. So the name of the book is Thinking Like a Bank, and then you can download it at thinkinglikeabank.com. And you can actually connect with me in every way uh, just through thinkinglikeabank.com. So it goes to my LinkedIn, email, Calendly, you can schedule an appointment, all of that is found at thinkinglikeabank.com. Awesome. Well, Sari, thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. It's been great chatting with you. I'm excited to tune in more to your podcast as well, too. And uh, I appreciate the impact that you have on people. Thanks, man. Thank you. You just listened to an amazing episode on the Matt Baxter Show. It had nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the guests that I have and the stories that we get to tell and the smack talking we get to have. So if you enjoyed this episode or any of the other episodes that you've listened to, feel free to su subscribe on Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcast. Check us out at themattbaxtershow.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at Matt C. Baxter, Twitter, or Facebook as well, too. Uh, I'd love to hear from you, whether it's through an email on the website or whether it's through any of the social platforms. I do my best to get back to people as soon as I can. But thank you again for listening. I hope you enjoy. Feel free to send feedback in any way. And don't be afraid to share the Matt Baxter Show. We're very excited to have you as a listener and hope you continue to listen as well. Thanks a ton. Bye-bye. <music>